Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Pardon the interruption in this podcast, but we actually had to like post record this little super cool announcement so that Matt could insert it into today's podcast so that you know this huge thing. (laughs) It is top secret uh, until this very moment because Sarah and I have been talking for months about how we wanted to celebrate our five year anniversary of weekly Paleo View podcasts. And we talk all the time, um, and we did in our anniversary episode uh, 250 about the community. And so we are super excited to invite you to attend a recording of The Paleo View. Sarah and her entire family are going to make their way north to the D.C. metro, uh, metro D.C. area in the Uh, Virginia, Maryland, D.C. corridor, and we're going to be recording an episode of The Paleo View and would love to invite you to join us. So we'll be doing a live Q&A with our audience. So this is also a great question to like guarantee that your question gets answered (laughs) on this show. Um, And we hope to just, you know, have have a lot of fun in front of a live audience. You'll get to see um, the true dorkiness behind the show that Matt edits out to make look professional every single week. Um, and we think it's just going to be a really, really fun thing. We've never done a show like this before, but we're really excited. So it's going to be Sunday, July 2nd at the George Mason Regional Library, which is in Andale, Virginia, right? Correct. It is not the George Mason University Library. It's the regional library. So, um, in Annandale, Virginia. It should be uh, relatively easily accessed for most people, um, parking, getting inside, all that kind of stuff. Um, And we're going to be in a meeting room. Yes. There'll be plenty of space and seats, um, hopefully, for everybody. Uh, We have given this a lot of thought and are really looking forward to meeting everyone. And for those of you that might not necessarily be in the area, it's actually a fantastic weekend to come because it's the extended July 4th weekend. And there's a lot of uh, great activities and things to do in the area uh, for independence day. So you can, uh, pretend and tell your family that you want to go to DC for Independence Day. And then you can sneak away. I actually know other people who are going to DC for that weekend to just be in DC for that weekend. So um, if you happen to know you're going to be in the area, um, we're going to be recording for about two hours from about two to four o'clock. Please RSVP um, because we do have only a limited number of seats and um, we just need to make sure that we're uh, conforming to things like fire regulations. Um, so you can um, obviously go to show notes on either of our sites and, and find this link, or I will just spell it out now for people who are 
not into show notes for some reason, um, you can go to thepaleomom.com slash go slash TPV dash live. So that's TPV like the paleo view dash live. Um, and if you go to that link, it'll take you to the um, Eventbrite that we have set up and tickets are free. Um, so we're just hoping to have a, a, a great fun crowd and we'd, we'd love to, to meet you, to see you again, to hang out um, and hopefully have a lot of fun. And we will obviously be sharing um, the information in social media, newsletters, on the blog, stuff like that. But um, the sooner you register, the better, because um, as Sarah said, there are a limited number of seats and we would sincerely appreciate if you do RSVP that you actually come. And if you can't make it, if you can release your seat so that um, if there's a wait list, additional people can come. So anyway, it will be a lot of fun. We have said to you a million times before how we've talked about things at book signings or events that we've done together. Um, we always get such great questions and conversations going and there's no way to capture that, to share it with anybody other than the audience that's there. So this is an opportunity to both relive that intimate experience as well as share it with all of you. So even if you can't come, the plan is to share this live recording here on the podcast. So you will get to hear it eventually. Um, hopefully not like a huge period of time later. Like <laughs> you said, like hear it eventually. I was like, and in seven years <laughs> for our 10th anniversary, we're going to share what we did five years ago. Yeah. So I uh, hope to see you get there. And um, I think now we can, we can cut back to your regular scheduled program. Sarah. Oh, I forgot to welcome our listeners. Oh, no. You oh, broke I was on such streak. a good streak. I mean, you, we could restart. Okay, let's let's wipe wipe the slate clean. Pretend that didn't happen. Okay, go. Howdy doodly. No, it's totally <gasps> That's how phrase. I start our – because I'm Ned Flanders. What? You know what's happening to me? My brain is becoming mush because it's like move insanity over here. Um, how about how about I'll go? Okay. Welcome to episode 253, everybody. I'm impressed. I didn't even give a number. I already lost count. <laughs> to be fair, before we recorded, I went and had a look at what episode last week was to remind myself because apparently I can't count to three. Yeah, this is. That was like. 250 we got, 251 is fine, 252 we were starting to lose it, 253 gone. I actually had to cheat. That's that's how that went. Um, but yeah, so moving, chaos. I bet that's not fun. That's like one of the most stressful life events. I have no idea. I mean, people talk about it being a stressful life event and I'm like, I'm so organized, whatever. No, it's really stressful. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I um, – we actually settled on our current house today and then did a preview walkthrough of our new house. And then we aren't moving until next week. So it's just, it's like, it's just, it's, I can't, I just can't even, that's what's happening in my life. So that's why I can't count to three or figure out how to introduce the show. I'm sorry, everybody. Well, I have to say that I'm a little bit fried as well, because I just turned in all 20 meal plans and shopping lists for Paleo Principles today. I had 
Uh, my, my goal was to be finished with them a week ago. So they took me an entire week of crazy long days and like working late into the evening, which I don't like to do uh, more than I thought they would. And I'm like super proud of them. I think they're the best meal plans I've ever put together for any book. Um, and I think they're really fun and I think people are going to love them. But I'm just in that like <laughs> I, I, I turned them in and I um, right before dinner and I, I sort of went up to the kitchen to we were just having leftovers. It was like just like reheat dinner. And, you know, my husband looks at me. I was like, I turned them in. I'm finished. And he's like, you don't look happy. I was like, it just hasn't. It's, it's just been a lot of work. And it hasn't really occurred to me yet that I, I can actually go and do something else now. I've got this like mo like mound of um, edits to go through that have been like piling up as I've been focused on getting these meal plans done. And uh, and I'm just like, I think I think when it'll really sink in is like tomorrow when I'm actually working on a different aspect of the book and it will be lovely because um, as you as you know, I don't know any author who enjoys creating meal plans. Like I appreciate that they're a super useful resource, which is why I do them. Um, but they're they're not my favorite thing to uh, to put together. I really enjoyed doing them. And I really enjoy, I have like a blog series where I do them as well. And I think it's like that organizational part of my brain that likes to think about using leftovers or, okay, if I bought a bunch of broccoli, like how could I use it multiple times? Like, it's like a puzzle I love figuring out, but it's so stressful to do it for books because your tastes and your family's preferences or whatever's in season, like there's so many factors that go into it as well as nutritional balance and, you know, making sure that you have organ meats and seafood and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And so I, I put a lot of effort into nutritional balance in my meal plans. So I'm like, okay, so how many seafood meals do I have this week? And where's the organ meat? And I like, I, um, I put a lot of thought into it in that regard. And, um, and I think that, you know, for me, um, I like meal planning, but my meal planning is a little bit more like what I do in my house is more, um, I don't know. It's flexible is not the quite, quite the right word. I guess it's less precise. So like, I already know that I'm cooking chicken, you know, for dinner tomorrow and we're going to have the leftovers for three days. And that's planned ahead because there's a swim meet on Wednesday night. And then there's this like a swim end of season party on Thursday night, even though it's not the end of the season yet. And so like, I've already, I've already figured out I'm going to need leftovers those nights. And so I, you know, I, and I know what I'm going to cook, but when I go shopping it's a little bit less measured. So it's more like, uh, you know, oh, hey, we always like broccoli, grab some broccoli. And I don't know exactly which meal that's going to go with. And oh, hey, you know, my kids, you know, these, I got some really beautiful, like, uh, yellow wax beans at the market. Oh, my kids love these beans. I, you know, grab, and I don't, I'm not just, I'm just throwing them in the bag. So it becomes very like, I don't know how many meals this is going to last. It's, it's a little bit more, um, fuzzy around the edges in terms of how I meal plan. But I, I still have a sense of, you know, I have to cook a big meal this night. Then we're gonna have leftovers these nights. I'm gonna have to do a top of vegetables this night, right? And I, I have that overarching plan for the week, but without having to hone in on the details, like exactly how many avocados am I going to need? And yes, I just said that in the Canadian uh, way. And you, like before I could even be like, say it again. Um, And so... And so I, I, I just kind of, you know, then what will happen is if I have a extra something or I run out of something else, then I just, 
adjust or nip out to the store, right? So it's I my meal planning is a little bit more sort of big picture planning. And so this like super detailed shopping list where I have to list quantities down to the individual carrot, like that's not that's not the level of detail that I normally do meal planning in. So um and I don't want to be wrong because for people who really, you know, the idea is here's your shopping list for this entire week's worth of food and here's what you're going to eat for every single meal for 21 meals. Um, I don't want someone to be left over, you know, have a weird, you know, I've got seven extra carrots or worse yet, I'm two carrots short. I mean, seven extra carrots to me is not as big a deal as being short two carrots for a recipe, right? Like, so um, I think I just find them um, tedious, I think is probably the best word. Yeah, I don't mind tedious. I feel like my brain really thrives off that kind of attention to detail, but to each their own. Okay, so here's the thing is um, we're both a little bit fried and there's like some craziness happening in the news. So I thought maybe we could just address that instead of doing a full-fledged Q&A. How do you feel about that? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a hot topic. It's interesting because the like original article that this was based on, I think I saw, I want to say like a month and a half, two months ago, and I went, I you know, I just kind of shook my head. I was like, oh, this is you know, this is a very um, myopic way to evaluate foods and. Um, And I, you know, and I just kind of like left it because it was, you know, something that I found, you know, going through, you know, my news app on my on my phone. Right. And it was it didn't think of it as something that was necessarily going to hit our community like the way that it has. But it's been sort of picked up and this slightly different lean on this story has been picked up um, about coconut oil being you know, a a non heart healthy fat. Um, And it's really gone viral. And and, um, what I love about this community is this community is so tapped in and and really understands that because paleo is based on science, uh, things sometimes change, right? So we, we can, if new science is performed, and it doesn't, you know, it changes, not that it doesn't conform to the previous science, because that's sort of a different thing, but rather that it changes the um, consensus. So it changes, it, it's something really big and it, and we go, oh, hey, this food is healthy, even though we didn't think it was before, or hey, this food is unhealthy, even though we thought it was before. And then the, the paleo framework adapts. So, you know, we take this new information and we go, hey, um, you know, the, the classic example that we've used on this podcast before was potatoes used to be verboten. And we had this, you know, big discussion about what potatoes might have to offer that are beneficial, how, um, who they might be good for, uh, who they might not be good for. And in, you know, 2012, we came as a, as an entire community, the consensus that potatoes not good for people with autoimmune disease, but otherwise completely fit into a standard paleo protocol. So we're having that same, uh, or the community is having that same, like, wait a minute, what about coconut oil because of these news articles? But, um, 
the the leadership in the community is um, not going there. And we should talk about that. I'm ready. I'm so ready. First of all, I want to reference everybody back and we can put a link in the show notes to the source of this material also said that butter was terrible. And then later, I think it was like 10 years later was like, oops, we had that wrong. So just like every other thing we'll preface uh, on the podcast is make sure you're checking the full list of sources. And, you know, we will put links in the show notes for the things that Sarah is going to point to today. Um, But also we don't want you to take what we say on face value. We want to empower you with information for you to look into things yourself as well. Um, So I'm just going to say that coconut oil is like Tussin in this family. You just, (laughs) you got a broken leg, coconut oil. (laughs) Acne, coconut oil. Dry skin, coconut oil. But I mean, to be serious, we do use it topically, you know, a ton. And um, Mm -hmm. do as well. It's, um, I have little jars of it stashed all over the place. Um, it, I mean, it's, and it's a, it's a cure-all for a reason. So why don't I, um, I think I want to talk a little bit about the, the data that this American Heart Association, you know, article or opinion piece was based on. And then also I want to talk a little bit more about coconut oil in general. So coconut oil is, let's actually start with coconut oil in general. It's a, it's a fairly unique plant fat, um, because it's, um, you know, upwards of 60% saturated fat. Now it's a different kind of saturated fat than what is in animal foods. It's a shorter fat molecule. Um, so specifically these are called medium chain triglycerides, which means they're uh, it's like a there's short chain, medium chain, and long chain. So most saturated fats that you would find in animal foods are long chain. So they're longer fat molecules. Medium chain triglycerides means it's a short, it's just a shorter molecule. So for example, about 48% of the fats in coconut oil is a type of fat called lauric acid, which is 12 carbons long, um, which is actually like right on the border of what you, you would call a short chain fatty acid, which is like the good stuff that your gut bacteria make that um, help feed the cells that line your gut and make your, you know, your gut barrier cells so healthy. Um, You know, those short chain fatty acids have, have all kinds of of benefits. Um, So 12 is like just a tiny bit longer than that compared to, um, you know, a longer chain would be 18, 20, 24 carbons long. Um, And so it is a, it's a different chemistry. What makes it saturated is that it, that those carbons have no double bonds between them. So they've got hydrogens all over the place. There's no double bonds. So they're saturated with hydrogen. Um, and saturated fats um, are easier for our body to use uh, for energy. A monounsaturated fat, which has one double bond in it, or a polyunsaturated fat, which has two or more double bonds in it. Are, we actually have to kind of go through this like chemical saturation process in our bodies in order to be able to use that as energy. Um, and um, medium chain triglycerides uh, can even actually be used as energy with a simple one-step 
process. So, um, you know, compared to short chain fatty acids, which go straight, we can use those right away. Um, medium chain triglycerides are basically converted into ketones uh, with a with a with a one step process, and then it can be used um, as molecular energy from there. So, um, so it's because coconut oil has saturated fat that it's sort of controversial in terms of whether or not it's a healthy fat. And um, I would sort of point people to I have um, a very lengthy blog post on saturated fat. Um, it is not the demon cause of, of heart disease that it has been made out to be over the last 40-ish years, um, but you can overdo it. And when you do overdo saturated fat, um, it does negatively impact vascular health, which increases risk of cardiovascular disease. And it also negatively impacts the diversity of the gut microbiome. Um, and it really changes the, um, it skews the type of species growing in the gut microbiome towards less favorable ones. So it, it definitely has a negative impact on gut health as well. Um, and so there, there are some definitely some reasons to moderate saturated fat intake. If you look at hunter-gatherer societies, they on average got about 13% of their calories from saturated fat, which is about what you would get if you ate some good quality, you know, beef and chicken and pork and um, a little bit of butter and weren't going crazy to add fat to everything. Like that's that's where you would end up if you were just kind of eating the fat that was naturally in your food and not eating a stick of butter, um, which is definitely on the side of negative health impacts. Um, so what's been really interesting is there's been a collection of studies over the years that have looked at whether or not coconut oil as a saturated fat increases cardiovascular risk um, markers. So, you know, blood cholesterol, triglycerides. Um, and the results are actually mixed. Um, so the, the um, recent study that, that this one was all excited about was one done in 12 people that fed them um, coconut oil or um, a high oleic acid safflower oil. So oleic acid is actually an omega-9 monounsaturated fat that is the heart-healthy fat that's in olive oil, avocado oil. Like this is oleic acid is well known to have uh, cardiovascular benefits. So they compared, you know, what happened in coconut oil versus um, this heart-healthy oil. And they found that the... the um, People in the study who were getting coconut oil, some of them had an increase in uh, HDL, LDL, and total cholesterol. So both HDL and LDL went up. Um, so generally, that's considered not alarming. It went up a relatively small amount. So total cholesterol went up something like 18 points. Um, the um, triglycerides did not go up. So that's a good thing because triglycerides are a more sensitive uh, indicator of cardiovascular disease risk than, than LDL or total cholesterol by, by far. Um, and it didn't happen across the board. So it happened in some women and, some, some, and not in others. So I think it's really important to, to then sort of shift gears and talk about APOE. So uh, APOE is a 
gene that is related to lipid metabolism. And um, there are four variants of it. We have, they're, they're very conveniently numbered for us, one, two, three, and four. Uh, so there's APOE1, APOE2, APOE3, and APOE4. And um, we have two copies. So we have one from our mom, one for, from our dad. So you can be a 1-3, you can be a 2-4, you can be a 3-3. Three, three, you know, so you have, you have two of these. And we know that if you have one or two copies of APOE4, which is something like 17% of the population, um, that you are a person who has a much higher um, increase in serum cholesterol and typically triglycerides um, when you eat high fat intake, especially saturated fat, compared to all the other APOE variants. So if you have a copy of APOE4, we know that not only are you going to have a, a more magnified increase in cholesterol, and it, typically it's an increase in LDL without that little boost in HDL. Um, so you'll have a, an increase in, in total cholesterol and LDL with high fat intake. Um, and we know that also those are the people who have a much stronger correlation between uh, sort of these classic cardiovascular disease risk factors, cholesterol, triglycerides, there's a much stronger correlation between that and uh, cardiovascular disease events compared to everyone else. So we know if you look at the rest of the population, the correlations are not as strong. So you see people with perfectly normal, you know, textbook serum cholesterol who have heart attacks. Um, and you'll find people who have these crazy out of control cholesterol numbers who have, you know, beautifully healthy hearts. So, Outside of these APOE4 um, gene-carrying people, there, there's a fair amount of gray in terms of cardiovascular disease risk and cardiovascular disease and a lot of stuff that's not known. But we know with these APOE4 people that these are people who need to be on a moderate-fat diet, not low-fat. You know, I would never recommend a low-fat diet, fat um, – especially, you know, the long chain omega-3 fats like DHA and EPA, heart-healthy monounsaturated fats like oleic acid. Um, you know, fat is an essential nutrient. It forms the outer cell membrane and actually the internal membranes of every organelle within the cell, the outer cell membrane. It's, you know, required for hormone health. You know, our steroid hormones are cholesterol-based. It's required for neurological health. Our brain is something like 60% fat. So, you know, not a low-fat diet. You know, we definitely need um, fat as a as a as a nutrient. But these are people who, you know, moderate. They can't creep up. So, looking at the twenty to thirty percent intake um, dietary intake from fat, um, as opposed to most other people can. You know, the twenty to forty percent is sort of the range where you know you're going to be okay. Once you creep into the fifty percent, and definitely once you hit sixty percent. Um, calories from fat, that's where we start to see these problems with vascular health and, and gut health. So that's sort of the range. So, so we look at this, there's other studies. In fact, there was an even more recent study that was just published in April that um, looked at, you know, the effect of coconut oil on cardiovascular disease um, markers or risk markers and found absolutely no change in those markers. So this is, um, and this was a bigger study. So there's, there's a, there's definitely not consensus. There's some studies that show a modest increase 
in, in serum cholesterol um, and a bunch of studies that show no increase in serum cholesterol with coconut oil. Um, and I think that maybe one of the differences, like if you think of a study of 12 people, um, it's not a big enough sample of people to necessarily end up with a representative sample. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I, do, I never dismiss a study because it's small. I think we still get really, really interesting information from that. But you can look at the data from a small study and you can start to think of like what else might be at play here. Um, and, you know, they don't typically uh, do genotyping uh, for APOE genotype in these people. So we don't know. Maybe there was a slightly higher than that 17% that would represent the, the general population number of people with APOE4 uh, variants in this group. And those are the people whose cholesterol went up. This is also people who this is not in the context of an overall heart healthy diet. So maybe it's other dietary factors and maybe it's the intersection between adding coconut oil and other other stress or sleep or other dietary factors that are increasing cardiovascular disease risk. And maybe it's the combination of things. So we can't tell that at this point from these studies. And I don't, I think what we can say is there may be some people who have an increase in cardiovascular disease risk by adding in coconut oil into their diet. And that is not something to dismiss, but does that mean that this is a fat that nobody should eat and it doesn't have any beneficial effects? Absolutely not, because we also have this tremendous body of scientific literature showing um, that coconut oil has some really great antimicrobial properties. Um, dietary coconut oil or medium-chain triglycerides um, very, very dramatically reduces the production of pro-inflammatory mediators, so it's anti-inflammatory. Um, it increases the activity of um, an enzyme called diamine oxidase, which is one of the two main enzymes in our digestive tract that break down histamine. So it can be helpful for people with histamine intolerance or allergies. Um, it helps improve gut barrier health by uh, regulating mucus production. It helps uh, gut barrier health by um, increasing the cell turnover rate in the gut. So um, damaged cells are, are sloughed off more easily and they're replaced by new cells more rapidly. Um, it can increase secretion of um, IgA antibodies in the gut, which is considered uh, important for immune uh, regulation. So um, secretory IgA is considered a, a marker of immune health. And, and the more you have generally, it, the, the more robust your immune system is. is um, Although, I mean, super excess amounts usually point to, to some kind of uh, immune problems. But um, we've got this like great collection of studies showing that coconut oil can be a boon for, for gut health. So I think, you know, we, we need to look at this food through more than just the lens of what might this do to my cholesterol. I'm keeping in mind that... <laughs> The thing that actually improves cardiovascular disease risk the most uh, that out of diet is eating a lot of vegetables. That's the best thing we can do to reduce cardiovascular disease risk is eat tons of vegetables. And then the next best thing is eat lots of seafood, right? The um, omega-3 fats. Make sure we're not vitamin D deficient. Uh, get enough sleep. So, you know, getting less than six hours sleep can 
double your risk of, of some types of cardiovascular disease like stroke um, and make sure that we're managing stress and make sure that we're living an active lifestyle. So, you know, if, if cardiovascular disease risk is, is a concern, there's a lot of things that we can be doing. Um, and then we don't have to discard this otherwise really, really healthy fat. It's a super great source of uh, vitamin E. Um, that being said, you know, just like we want diversity in all of the other foods we eat, we want diversity in the types of fats we're eating. You know, um, coconut oil, um, the MCTs are uh, in coconut oil are beneficial, um, great source of vitamin E. But, you know, from grass-fed butter or beef tallow or, or pastured pork, you're getting vitamin A and vitamin D and vitamin K2. Um, so you're, you're getting, you know, olive oil has a, a really a high quality olive oil, has lots of polyphenols, which are a really important antioxidant phytochemical that's important for heart health um, and immune health in general. So we get different things from different types of fats. It's really, really good to mix, mix up the types of fats we're eating. Um, and even, you know, when we talk about these different chain length of fats and different places where they, these chains can have double bonds, even a different type of fat can have a very, very different effect in our bodies. So um, mixing it up is, is a really important thing. Variety protects us from the potential detriment of overdoing any one thing. So I think that um, there's nothing in this study that – puts coconut oil in a avoid list. Um, I think knowing your APOE genotype is really important. Under, so basically understanding whether or not you should be eating a low-fat diet. I think knowing where your risk is. So do you smoke? What's your blood pressure like? Are you active? What's your family history? You know, those types of questions. And then making smart choices to reduce cardiovascular disease risk, eating more vegetables, getting enough sleep, managing stress, being active. Um, an overall nutrient-dense anti-inflammatory diet is going to be amazing, and coconut oil can play a role in that. I got nothing. I was waiting for the mic drop sound. I guess Matt's probably found that He's found by, by now. <laughs> <laughs> Poof. That's it. So um, I think um, – what was really interesting to me, and maybe if you wouldn't mind giving a little bit more color, is this idea of percentages of um, what fats look like for other people based on some of this information that you're finding in terms of like an ideal range. Because for me, 20% is way too low because my body doesn't respond to carbohydrates really well. But the idea that over 40% would uh, potentially be linked to cardiovascular disease with all of the dependencies that you outlined, that number is lower than I would have imagined. I would have imagined it more like 60 or more, right? So I'm just, maybe you can give a little bit of color on that. Yeah, sure. So um, I think 40% is still like uh, what I mean by 40, 40% is still you're, you're doing, you're fine. You're not going to hit that higher risk level. So studies that look at effects of uh, high fat intake or high saturated fat intake, they typically look at 60% um, of calories from fat. Uh, sometimes they look at more, but 60% is typically that cutoff um, where all of a sudden we start to see some um, negative health impact. So um, 
so that's where we start to see some detrimental effects to um, the health of, of blood vessels. And in particular, it's the health of the and the function of the cells that form the walls of the of blood cells. They're called endothelial cells. Um, and that's where we start to see negative impacts on gut health. Um, and it's interesting because we get a skew in the bacteria towards more gram-negative bacteria. These are the type of bacteria that have endotoxin in their cell membranes. And of course, fat is like a carrier molecule for endotoxin to get into the body. So that's where that that sort of threshold is at 60%. When we look at um, hunter-gatherers, they on average um, consume um, up to about 58% of their calories from fat. Um, So that's sort of like the high end of the range. Um, Most hunter-gatherers are more like in the 30 to 50%. Um, And so, I mean, even, even, um, even like Eskimo populations are, are not hitting above that. So, um, so most fat intake is, you know, for in in hunter gatherers is, is in that 20 to 40% range that we know from contemporary physiological studies is a really good place to be. So, um, so I think that, you know, for me, I, I, I personally try to aim for 30, 30, 40, um, with whatever, not, not really caring which of protein, carbohydrates, or fat is the 40. So I think more of like, am I getting enough fiber? Am I getting enough micronutrients? Um, I know personally, I don't feel very good when my fat intake gets in, into the 40s. Like 35% is actually about the most that I can do without feeling kind of gross. Um, and so, you know, when you look at that, literature altogether. I mean, definitely depending on how active somebody is, depending on the nutrient density of their entire diet, depending on their specific genetics, depending on their health history, they're going to find probably something in that range that, um, you know, probably that 30 to 40% range and maybe as high as 50%, that's okay for them. And keep in mind that that's 50% of calories. So um, you you know, a lot of people need to use like some kind of nutrition tracker to be able to really figure out how much, you know, you think about uh, a tablespoon of butter has about 100 calories in it. So um, so a lot of people will need need some help because they're 50 percent of calories in terms of fat because it's so calorie dense. Right. There's eight calories per gram of fat, but there's only four calories per gram of carbohydrates or four calories per gram of protein. Um, so it takes up a lot less space. And then of course, so many of the foods that we eat are mixed, right? If you eat nuts or avocado, I said it again for you, um, or even like meat or seafood, right? It has, it has fat in it. Um, so it's sort of hard to, to necessarily gauge what is that doing to our total fat intake? Um, but yeah, I mean, studies, studies are showing that at 60% bad things happen. Um, and we don't see hunter gatherers that hit 
60%. So it makes a lot of sense to stay below that. Excellent. Cool. So the moral of the story to me is uh, I'm not going to change anything that I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I don't think, I mean, so I, think, I think, I think that there are some people, I think that I see this more honestly in the, um, on the vegan side of paleo or, you know, before, um, there was certified lactose and casein free ghee. I think that there was, um, a heavy use of coconut oil, but I've seen at least, um, I know with us, we've talked about a lot of diversity of fats because it's important to get a, a nutrient rainbow, so to speak, from all different kinds that you're eating, not just from vegetables. And I know like for me, we mix it up with lard, with avocado oil, with coconut oil, with um, ghee sometimes, not so much just because it's it seems to get eaten really quickly, um, <laughs> whereas lard, not so much. But I, I do think that um, – and, and good olive oil on salads. And, you know, like there's just a variety of different fats that we use. Sometimes we'll fry in palm oil um, and we're using a sustainable source of that. Or um, if we're out, we'll use um, like a mix of coconut oil with something else. So you just, I mean, to me, the moral of the story is using the continued use of fats that are stable, fats that are coming from a source that is naturally fatty. You know, when people ask me about fats, um, particularly like canola oil, and I describe to them, I'm like, well, where do you think that fat is coming from? Like, does vegetables, do vegetables have um, like a naturally high amount of fats? And the answer is no, unless it's olives or avocados or coconut oil, like then you could imagine that those foods were being consumed in larger quantities before we had kitchens and were cooking food in them and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I really appreciate when new science comes out for us to look at them, but um, I especially appreciate it when <laughs> I'm like, all right, um, it's not anything that I need to like completely <laughs> upset my life about. It's, it's nice when if it is actionable, it's actionable in a way that um, isn't like making a huge adjustment, um, especially when we're talking about, you know, we've been working hard to eat very healthy diets and make very healthy lifestyle choices for years. So I it's sort of like when something forces you to reevaluate something that you've been doing for years, that's a that's a really tough situation. And that's, but it's fine. If that, if that happens, then we reevaluate and we go figure out what we need to do. This is not that, um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of detail that we can have around fat intake and types of fats and who should, you know, who should have what and, and what other things people can do to, to mitigate cardiovascular disease risk. Um, but the, the thing that I think is really important to end on is this same opinion piece said, you know, uh, summarized the tremendous body of scientific literature showing that olive oil um, has great benefits for, for heart health, um, which is indisputable. It's, it's just a huge body of scientific literature, and the higher the quality of olive oil, the better. And that's in part because of the monounsaturated fats, and that's in part because of the polyphenol content, the vitamin E content in olive oil. So they summarized all of this great stuff and then said, so people should have vegetable oils. And they literally, in just one sentence, equated <laughs> olive oil with 
canola oil and corn oil and soybean oil and all of these other completely – they're completely different fats. They don't have the polyphenol content. Because of the extraction process, the fats are largely oxidized, so they're inflammatory. They're super high in omega-6 polyunsaturated fats. Like it just you, – you, like you either get into these nitty-gritty details and you, you – or you like just don't, don't – like you can't just you, – you can't cherry-pick science to support something and then make <laughs> make two completely different things equate each other. Like that's – to me, that was like, and and that was when I saw this article the first time, you know, a month and a half ago. Is when I read that, I was like, and I don't need to read this. <laughs> it was like, oh wait, an olive oil is the same as vegetable oils. Now we're done. This is this is clearly, um, you know, somebody with with uh, a preconceived notion of of what they want the result to be. So. Um, so I think that's a really important note to end on is, is uh, A, olive oil and avocado oil. See, I said it again for you. That's three times this episode. I'm loving it. Um, are not the same thing as vegetable oils that have to be uh, extracted under high heat and pressure. Um, and, uh, and also it's, um, it's, it's, it's good to read through things like this critically and always try to find the, the original sources because often uh, the original sources don't support what the media article says. I don't know what more we could add. Let's go edit books and move. (laughs) I'll do one. You do the other. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hopefully you feel good about your continued use of slathering coconut oil on everything uh, from the walls of your home to the cuts on your children. No, I'm kidding. But seriously, not really. It won't actually heal a broken leg. (laughs) To my knowledge. To our knowledge, yeah. No, but um, it, it definitely helps dry skin. So have at it. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Hey, I was calling you and you were calling me. For our listeners' entertainment, as soon as I got done saying that my brain was mush and that I just couldn't even, I then accidentally hung up on you. Which I, I can't like, recall it, ever doing before. Like, instead of pushing the mute button, I pushed the hang up button. I don't know that I've, like, ever done that. Um, it, it, to me, on my end, it was like the call just, like, ended. And I was like, that was really strange timing for a call to end. Because it really felt like, like, and I'm done. And I really mean done. <laughs> Here's my emphasis right here. Oh, sorry. Oh, man. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.